0: Listening to hundred words or less with Ray Hargens. Oh boy! Thank you very much for downloading this particular podcast. If you're new here, welcome. There's seats in the back. Come and join. We're talking about independent music and the people who make up this awesome DIY independent music scene that we love. Whether it's punk, hardcore, emo, rap, like we're going to be talking about today, anything that falls under this broad spectrum of People in small, sweaty rooms, doing things, not asking permission, all of that is what we do here. And um, this guest today is, I'm very excited to have him because he definitely, from a musical perspective, falls sort of outside the spectrum of what I typically cover, you know, whether it's obviously kind of treading into the punk and hardcore world, that's what I predominantly lean into. But I find people that make music outside of that and affect culture in a lot of different ways, and this person is the embodiment of that. His name is Joe Mulheron, and I'm totally butchering his last name, I'm guessing, but Joe Mulheron, I'll say it again, he plays under the moniker Nothing Nowhere. And for those of you who have been paying attention to the whole youth culture movement of emo rap, and I use that maybe in air quotes, there is a, a whole scene that exists where it is combining the, you know, the principles of kind of whatever, modern rap, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, the sort of Drake influenced, wearing your heart in your sleeve, talking about, you know, feelings as opposed to, um, you know kind of what maybe like whatever nineties gangster rap would talk about, but then combining that with all of the DIY principles that, uh, you know, maybe exist within, I mean, clearly within the punk hardcore scene, but I would also compare it to kind of like the early two thousands when, you know, there were so many independent hip hop artists coming up from, you know, Aesop rock and atmosphere and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of combining that all into this, this interesting stew that is what nothing nowhere does because I mean, I'll be honest. Like when this first kind of hit the scene, most people were just scratching their heads, being like, "What the heck is this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know where to put this." But Joe, uh, you know, he he did his thing, <laughs> and he worked really, really hard to not only hone his craft but show that he is a legitimate artist. And the dude has deep connections within the context of punk and hardcore, vegan, straight edge, a lot of interesting things going on. So I had to have him on the show, and that is why. Like, for some of you that maybe just write this person off, just look a little bit below the surface. Like, maybe musically you don't identify with what he does, but I think he is important nonetheless, and his experience will probably surprise you that it's very similar to yours. So just put whatever preconceived notions you have aside. I just want to, you know, do that preamble. But you can always email the show. 100 words podcast at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. I love all of the feedback and guest ideas and all that sort of stuff. Really appreciate that. Been a little bad on, on getting back to email, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to – I got some plane flights coming up, so I'll be able to uh, dig into a little bit that, of that response time. And then please, if you haven't done so, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, stars, five stars, hopefully, if you find value in the show. Uh, but then, you know, write maybe a sentence or two on it because that uh, helps the algorithm of recommending this particular podcast to other people that should be listening to this podcast because that's the only way that this gets out. And, of course, you can tell a friend. Like, you know, tag the guest on social media, all that stuff helps. So I would appreciate any light you can shine on this particular podcast. I do appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, let's talk to Joe. And I will, of course, at the end of the episode, tell you who comes up the following week because we have great guests coming up. So here's my discussion with Joe, and I'll talk to you after. Because...
1: I assure you, this is not meant to be disrespectful in any way. But in in first listening to you, um, it made me feel old. And but at the same time, like I also got it because it was like okay, like I am of a certain age demographic where the style of music that you know you are, are participating in was you know like literally not around ten years ago, and so. Yeah it's interesting. And I, I imagine it, pe- it feels pretty satisfying for you to be able to like put yourself out there and probably initially have people be like, what the hell is this dude? What are you doing? But then ultimately find your space. Like, and I realize that's maybe a big thing to lead off with, but uh, like, do you feel, I guess, you know, like that is reflective of your experience or is it kind of, you know, a- another way that you're
2: going? Yeah. I mean, like I just, I just wanted to do stuff that no one else was really doing or that had like almost a non-existent scene. I mean, when I started doing nothing, nowhere stuff in like 2014 and, um, I just wanted to create sounds that were just different. I just got tired of hearing bands that all sounded the same and just recycled stuff. And obviously now, like, I guess what I started doing is it's, you know, everyone does it now, but, but, uh, it's just fun to like, I don't know, I never really come across new genres. And like, whenever I hear something that is different, or because everything's so oversaturated now, with Spotify and playlisting and everything, it's just like, sick to hear something different. So I love that. I love getting like a weird response from people like making weird music.
1: Right. And I, I know and it is I agree with you because it, it, you know, even though, like I was saying for my own personal experience and I'm sure many other people's experiences where it's like, initially it's kind of met with that sort of, you know, like just really quizzical looks, like in the sense of, you know, I mean, it's like any other band, you know, playing their first shows where it's just like, what the hell is this band trying to do? But then once you show that you're serious about your art and your expression, then people, you know. Uh, I and mean, as long as it's authentic to you, eventually come around and understand whether or not they like it. They at least understand where you're coming from, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if if like even if I don't expect everyone to like what I'm doing, but you know, like I'll hear something or I'll see some type of art that I'm like, well, you know, that's not my thing, but I respect it because they're serious about it and it's like their life, you know. And I guess like you know, our mutual friend Yvonne, who's my manager she really put me through the ringer. Um, my first tour ever was opening for thrice and thrice fans were, you know, they're notoriously not, you know, I don't want to say they're closed minded, but they definitely know what they like. And um, it was me thrice and Law lot of dispute. And I just remember like, you know, going on stage first tour ever, you know, 2000 cap rooms, just shaking in my boots, trying to do something different. And, I'd like to say that a lot of the shows we 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 went over some older folks by the end of the show and like it really like gave me the confidence like, okay, like if I'm serious about it, they'll be down with it.
1: Right. (laughs) Totally. And honestly, that, you know, like you said, being put through the ringer, like that trial by fire to really, you know, put yourself in front of people that are obviously not going to be automatically you know, on your side and just be like, oh, like impress me, you know? Like every artist right. kind of goes through that in some capacity, but for you to be able to do that earlier on to be like, am I really serious about this? Like, does this feel right to me personally? Not so much how the crowd is reacting, but does this feel right to me?
2: Yeah, and that was, that was the thing. Like it felt right to me. It's like all I wanted to do and like I just wanted to create authentically and make sounds that I thought were rad and like I was kind of like, blissfully naive and I'm glad that I was, um, you know, and I just kind of did my thing. And then like, here I am now, um, just still doing my thing, I guess. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> no, and it's, it's cool. And I, I think that's what really, uh, because of, you know, your longevity, even though, you know, like you said, 2014 to, you know, 2021, like, you know, that's less than 10 years, but at the same time that, you know, probably it, it feels like dog years in certain respects where you're like, Oh wow, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. This is wild.
2: Yeah. It's insane. I mean, it's just insane to see how the landscape changes and like learning the music industry and like just, you know, going through my twenties, like in fully embedded in the music industry and seeing how it changes, seeing how it chews up musicians, spits them out, seeing, you know, Labels pick up the next big wave of things and genres changing. And I think more than ever, it just like fueled me to just be like, all right, just keep continuing like what you're doing and follow your intuition, really, because the, like the trends change and the numbers change. But it's like, you know, good music is good music, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that ho- hopefully. Uh, what do they? What do they say? The content is king. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, putting the po- focus on you squarely, I'll, I'll pull apart some things you know about uh, your musical progression over this chat. But you know, I know you were born and raised in the Massachusetts area. Uh, where, yeah. What city did you come up in particular?
2: Uh, so I grew up in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, there's nothing cool about Foxborough. I mean, it was a great place to grow up. Made a lot of really great lifelong friends, but it was really just kind of like culturally devoid and uh, just suburbs. And I guess the New England Patriots Stadium was there, and that was kind of their claim to fame. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> it,
1: the the reason I ask is because, you know, especially like the Boston you know the greater Boston area like it, each one of those cities had its own really interesting specific scene like I'll never forget once I first started to show up to like the New England Metal and Hardcore Festival in Worcester uh, mm-hmm. it was like that was so different than what was happening you know in Boston or you know any of the other surrounding suburbs and so it just was really interesting to see all these cities have their own thing going on
2: yeah mass is so weird like Yeah, like Worcester is is nothing like Boston. Boston is nothing like Brockton. You know, like it's just everyone's kind of everyone's a townie, (laughs) pretty much. Like, yeah, that's true. Like, you know, you watch The Departed or like anything with like, you know, you watch Goodwill Hunting. He never wants to leave the city. It's like I know a lot of kids like that, but it's cool because like I don't know. I guess it's cool to have pride in where you're from, and and like I guess Boston does that really well.
1: Yeah. You, I think you hit that nail on the head. You're very right. (laughs) What was, what was your, uh, family structure like growing up? Um, you know, like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters.
2: Yeah. Just, you know, your standard, you know, American one sister, mom, dad still together. We had a yellow lab, you know, uh, grew up in a decent, you know, house. I mean, it was, uh, pretty standard par for the course type thing. And, um, you know, my parents, my dad's an accountant, my mom's a nurse. Um, and I was just doing my thing, like not a great student skateboarding, playing music, playing guitar, and just kind of going through the motions, I guess. Right.
1: (laughs) As most kids do in the, you know, whatever, (laughs) middle-class suburban upbringing where you're just trying to find, I guess your space or your tribe and the people where you're like, Oh, like, you get me and I get you.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that was huge. Like for me, cause like in elementary school and like early middle schools, like I didn't, I don't really have those connections. And, um, it wasn't until, you know, I found people who listen to the same music as me and like got into emo and post hardcore and hardcore where I was like, Oh, I've, f- I found some, like this makes sense. Like I wanted this to be my life <laughs> and I'm like, you know, like late twenties now. And it's like, it, Is definitely my life. Right.
1: (laughs) No, that's cool. Uh and were you uh, you said older sister or younger sister?
2: Older sister, yeah. She's uh like two and a half years older than me. And um yeah, we're still close. She lives in Australia now. Shout out to Rory and uh she um yeah, she was always kind of in the same into the same stuff as I am and uh she was like she was like the party animal kid and I was like the angel boy. It, like she would come home, like the the cops would deliver her home from like parties all the time, and she just I'd open the door and she'd be crying with a police officer. I'd just be like, "All right, mom, Rory's home." <laughs> like, but you know, she's older now, and like she's got everything figured out. But yeah, yeah. She's pretty bad.
1: <laughs> that's amazing so you, you were not only you know the the baby of the group where usually the you know baby of the siblings is usually the one that gets like doted on because it's like oh you know little joey and but on top of that you also had the sister that was blazing the trail and you know causing havoc where it's like oh joe's just an angel
2: yeah the bar was set so low you know <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: you can, and you can thank your sister for that that's great yeah always <laughs> that's amazing um And so I'm going to guess that by, you know, just kind of publicly judging you like you and kind of like you mentioned in, you know, this this chat and previous interviews that, uh, you know, you were just kind of looking for, you know, your identity. But I'm I'm guessing that you were uh, kind of a, I guess, a quiet kid. Were you like into sports? You know, where did you sort of start Mm -hmm. trying to find yourself?
2: I'd say like, you know, like fourth grade, I started listening to. Lincoln Park and Limp Bizkit and like all this new metal stuff and alien ant farm and got into like bands like that. And then, and it wasn't until, and I guess there was like a skate park that was built behind my elementary school. And I just would kind of go there and, you know, push around. And, and then it just kind of blossomed as I went into middle school and started listening to like second or third wave emo stuff, you know, census fail, taking back Sunday, Thursday, And really, um, really kind of found out like, oh, this is what I like, you know, I I didn't, I didn't really know what I was about. I was just like an anxious kid, like having panic attacks and uh, just not really sure what life was about until I found like music and like art.
1: Right. No, that's cool. I mean, that's the usually that's what music is there for, especially when you're in the formative years and you can, you know, not only identify what the lyrics are talking about, but then start to feel like you're yeah. part of a larger community.
2: Yeah. Just be like a bummed out little kid. Like no one understands me, you know, that was great. Being yeah. <laughs> of course.
1: Yeah. Angsty just like, and, and honestly it's, it's funny because that is such a timeless image where it's like, you can close your eyes and imagine, you know, a kid of the '60s, you know, feeling you know despondent about you know whatever was happening and you know civil rights or anything else, and it's like that. Mm. You can imagine that, like it's timeless, and it's so cool because of that.
2: Yeah, yeah growing up, <laughs> grown up's tough. I like. Yeah. I, I went skateboarding today and passed the playground and saw these little kids and I was like, I don't envy that because growing up was a bummer. But I don't know, maybe it wasn't for everyone, but it was for me.
1: Well, there I. I agree with you. There are challenges no matter which way you go. You know, if, even if you're a popular kid, it's that notion of how that popularity, like, you know, how do I make that last or like, (laughs) or whatever, like there's so many landmines you have to navigate. And, you know, usually no one besides, you know, maybe a sibling, maybe your parents will be able to help you through it. But a lot of it is just all trial and error.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I had, I had a while where I was really nostalgic and like, didn't want to grow up or whatever, but you know, now being an adult, like I've, I feel like I'd rather pay bills. Like, like, you know, no one likes paying bills, but I think I'd rather do that than have to like walk through a high school cafeteria and like find a table, you know what I mean? It's like scarier. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're
1: like pay, paying power bills suck or whatever, but it, you know, I'll, I'll pay the $50 just so I don't have to, <laughs> to walk through that cafeteria again.
2: I know just nightmares. I still have dreams about being in high school and I'm like 28. And, and they're like, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm 28. And they're like, well, you got to do it again. You got four more years. I'm like, oh, dang. That's a nightmare. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, you know, the, I'm sure you've met and have, you know, people that have come through your life where it's they look back on their, you know, high school experience and those are like the best times of their life. And it's just like, wow okay, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's kind of a trip for sure. I mean, yeah, it was, I don't think it really was for me. Yeah, sure.
1: I get that. Um, And so I'm guessing too that, you know, were you, like you said, as you started to, you know, in fourth grade, get exposed to, you know, more aggressive music, I'm going to guess that your household wasn't necessarily, you know, a musical household where you had, you know instruments and stuff lying around and your parents were maybe like spinning records and stuff like that?
2: No, not really. I mean, my dad, you know, grew up Like he loves the clash and, you know, Iggy and the stooges and like this weird, obscure stuff like Ian Dury and the blockheads and like, um, just weird. Like he's, he has really great music taste and he would definitely have records around. And, and my mom used to be a disco dance teacher. So she was on the other spectrum. Um, but no one in my family like really played music. I guess I had like a second cousin who gave me an acoustic guitar, um, when I was probably 11. And then from there it was like, okay, it's a wrap. This thing is sick. That's all. Awesome.
1: <laughs> I love that where it's like, you know, the clouds parted and this, you know, like second, secondhand guitar, just open up your world.
2: Yeah. It was like the coolest thing ever because i was probably watching you know like some 41 videos or whatever i was doing at the time and i was like i want to do that and then i got a guitar and i was like yep i'm gonna do that someday
1: right right and with uh with skateboarding that was i know a huge touch point for you as well did you make that immediate connection of you know skateboarding and music being so intertwined together or did you like did one kind of lead the other
2: I think I got into them at the same time. Honestly, like it was like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater came out; everyone was bugging out about the soundtrack, and there was like Rage Against the Machine and like Dell the Funky Homo Sapien, and all this crazy music. Um, And then I got a skateboard for Christmas from my grandma, and yeah, just it just felt like it was always the you know one and the same. Like it was the culture was so intertwined with like skate videos and music and stuff. And I just got way better at one of those things than the other.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> You're like that skateboarding. Cool. Yeah. yeah. You push around, like you said.
2: Yeah. I'll push around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and especially too with the, I, I think, and I'm, this probably applies to music as well. When you watch people doing it, whether it's you know skate videos or obviously like music videos, and interact with that, you start to see the uh, difficulty levels being so uh, transparently different. Where it's like, dude, to do an eight stair versus playing a power chord, like one is so much easier than the other, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And like, yeah, I don't have to like break myself off doing, you know, learning the pentatonic scale on a guitar, you know, it's just like a different, a whole different thing. When I was younger, like I remember like tossing myself downstairs and stuff, but now I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go to the hospital. (laughs) That's a, that is a very
1: simple, but true statement. (laughs) I think most yeah. people want to protect themselves like
0: that. You know what I'm going to talk about, right? No, maybe you don't, but you should think about band merch. And the place that should come to the top of your mind when you think about band merch is rockabilia.com. Use this code 100Words, that gets you 10% off your entire order. And that will let them know that this particular show sent to you. But band merch is incredibly vital to all bands. I don't think I can make that clear enough. But when you buy from legitimate sources, a.k.a. rockabilia.com, the bands get paid because this is all officially licensed stuff. This isn't some, you know, bo- bootleg scenario. This isn't some, you know, buying a horrible ripoff on Amazon. This is the real deal. They ship it to you fast, friendly. They have so much stuff. Like I actually showed a friend this website. Like he doesn't have any real context for music as far as the independent variety, but he just dove onto that website and was like, dude, they have everything. And I'm like, I know, right? So you will have so much fun going onto that website and finding all of the merch that you can outfit yourself, your family, your friends, and then you get 10% off again, 100 words. That's one zero, zero words, 10% off. Rockabilia, the best place to buy band merch on the internet. Trust me. Go have fun and buy band merch.
1: And so once you started to, you know, dive more deeply into like you said, you know, this sort of whatever, second, third wave, you know, emo, hardcore, punk and all that sort of stuff. How were your parents reacting to, you know, most likely stuff that they had no context for and what what is the loud screaming stuff coming out of, you know, <laughs> Joe's room? Like how's how are they reacting to that or did they just kind of let you be?
2: uh they are super supportive and just you know I just tortured my mom with Census Fail and Silverstein CDs on the way to the skate park every day and uh but she would always let me play them and my dad would just be like these band names are awful but like you know they they would always kind of give me shit but they they were always supportive of what I wanted to do and when I wanted to start doing guitar lessons my mom would drive me there and then I had a little, you know, band with my friends and my mom would drive us to our little community center gigs and stuff like that. So I was like super fortunate to have parents that, you know, kind of like fostered my creativity like that.
1: Yeah, that's really cool, especially... Like I was, you know, joking about that. Most parents don't have a context for this stuff that they don't identify with, and I could just imagine you with your dad. It's like, what is the name of this band? And you're like, yeah, you know, like Silverstein or yeah, the Used, obviously. And he's just like, what is like, what is this? I don't understand it at all. But then still being like, yeah, you can leave it in the you know the disc man or whatever.
2: Yeah, I I think they saw that I was so passionate about it, and and I was happy when I was listening to this stuff and it just, you know, I was like being myself and I think that whether or not they understood it didn't matter. And they just were like, Hey, this makes Joe like stoked. So we're going to support it. And like, if I, if I ever have kids, like I hope I could do the same thing. Sure.
1: You're right. And you're like, what are they going to bring home that is going to be really foreign and weird to me? And I'm going to be like, well,
2: crazy, some hyper, (laughs) some hyper pop, like, jazz or something
1: <laughs> yeah you're like well i don't understand this at all but go for it little son or daughter
2: <laughs> straight
1: up. yeah uh the and I, I know that we were talking about this off uh you know off mic so to speak but uh you know you're straight edge uh, do you actually like claim that label or is that just something like you're you know define yourself as sober or whatever
2: i think when i was younger i really i mean i'm still sober like i haven't I mean, i've never drank or done anything but When I was younger, I was more involved in sort of, like, hardcore music. And, um, you know, I even have, like, a tattoo, like, a triple X tattoo on my leg and and all that. But, like, I think nowadays I just, like, it's become so second nature to me that I'm just, like, yeah, like, people see me not drinking or something. And I'm just, like, oh, I just, like, don't do that stuff. And they're, like, why? And I'm, like, I don't know. I just don't. (laughs) Um, It's always funny and like, I'm, it's just my life. I don't know. I, I don't know anything different now. Yeah,
1: sure, sure. Well, and especially, too, when you're interacting with, you know, what I like to call civilians, most of the time people are just, like, you don't have the time to walk them through what Straight Edge is. Like, it's just easier <laughs> to be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, don't drink. I'm
2: going to be like, there's this band minor threat and, like, right. you know, like, a lot of, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know.
1: Right. They used to put X's in the back of their hands because, uh, you know, they were underage and it's just like, wait, what are you talking about, Joe? Stop it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: so I, I guess, how did, uh, you know, straight edge come into your life? Um, because I find it interesting because, you know, generationally speaking, uh, there are different touch points for people, whether it's like, you know, using a random example, but you know, Oh wow. I saw Davey Havoc talking about straight edge. And so that was like my initial thrust. Um, so where did it come to, you know, your understanding?
2: I'd say musically it was probably have heart, um, you know, growing up in the Boston area, um, you know, straight edge was huge and have heart was huge. And, and, uh, Pat like always had a positive message and learning about PMA and like, you know, living like authentically and, and like just being positive, like really got me stoked. And I, uh, kind of had people around me growing up and I saw some stuff growing up that, um, was I guess challenging. And I saw from a young age, kind of what, uh, drugs and alcohol could do to people. Not, not that it would happen to me. It was just kind of like one of those things where I was like, all right, like what else does life have to offer? Um, so it just worked for me. And, and I like got stoked that there was a subculture of other kids who were doing the same thing and I didn't have to feel like an idiot or whatever.
1: Right. Right yeah there was an actual not only community but term for this and you were able to plug into it and feel like you were a part of something bigger than yourself
2: yeah because i mean like even in high school like if you don't drink like or you don't go to parties or whatever like you just feel so disconnected from everything and um and it, it was it was just like a sigh of relief for sure um I mean, I mean, like now, like I have like all my friends drink or whatever. And it's like, you know, you get older and you're just like, yeah, that's a part of life. It's just something I don't really do.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't need to be, you know, judgmental or wanting to beat them up because they drink.
2: <laughs> that was insane. Like that era of like straight edge, like, um, you know, like Boston beat down and stuff like that. That was truly insane to the, to the point where it was like, I don't even know if I want to go to shows because, it's it's just like like wanting to fight people cuz they drink or smoke is the craziest thing i've ever heard
1: it, no it, i agree wholeheartedly and it was such a, a weird um i guess mixing pot of all of these different elements like that you know sort of pseudo jock mentality mixed with that uh, notion of you know i mean what you were talking about earlier that whole townie mentality where it's just like Oh, you're from, you know, you're Brockton. I'm going to punch you. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it was such a, like it really could have only happened in Boston from that perspective.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, straight up. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. It was yeah. crazy. Just like the gym shorts and the air maxes and the puffy jackets and what a time.
1: I know that's true. Yeah. It's <laughs> very true. Very true. Um, So what were kind of your earliest shows that you went to and what, I guess, sort of spoke to you as you started to experience more of that, you know, kind of DIY scene as it were. I mean, even if it was, you know, going to shows at the house of blues in Boston or whatever.
2: Yeah. I mean, probably like, I just have memories of seeing hardcore bands play at my local skate, uh, skate park. Um, you know, there was like bands like 40 SLS and, uh, energy and just random smaller, very small bands. And I just thought it was rad. And it was so cool. And they would always get shut down because there'd be swears. And the lady who owned the skate park would come and yell at everyone. And I was like, this is sick. So I I, I got into that and then, you know, started going to like VFW shows and just, you know, standing in a room that smells like mothballs with, you know, fluorescent lights. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Which like objectively it's not. It's terrible. But to me and to like kids, like – Hearing that music, no matter where you are, is like the coolest thing ever. Um, So I, I, yeah, I got into that. I was never like a huge show kid, though. I didn't go to a ton of shows because I was just too anxious. Like I couldn't be around that many people, but I got into it. Like I collected all the CDs and like just was all about it.
1: Right. You were as involved as your comfort level allowed it.
2: Yeah, that's a great way to put it.
1: Yeah. And like you said, once music became such a part of your life, you already had the guitar, and you know you were attending shows and stuff like that. Um, and you said that school was basically just like you were on sort of a coasting pattern. Um, did you have any? Did you have any sense of like what a quote unquote life path would look like? Where you you know like did your dad be like, all right, Joe, you're going to be an accountant or whatever?
2: <laughs> um. I don't know. I think in the back of my head, I was always like, yep, I just want to make music. I just want to make music. Like, that's what I want to do. I like was, you know, I had this voice in my head that was like, oh, it's not going to work out. Like, you're not going to make money making music. It's like winning the lottery. And, um, you know, I... I decided that in my head for some reason that going into the film industry was more realistic than music, which is like makes zero sense. So I went to film school and uh, cause I was totally into making films and doing all that. And I still am. I'm, I'm still into cinematography, but uh, I remember doing that. But still I had that, that voice in the back of my head and I was still making music and I was like, yeah, I know what I should be doing, what I want to be doing. Um, and eventually, I mean, I'm fast forwarding a lot, but, you know, you know, after film school and some internships, I quit my job and saved up three grand and just sent it with nothing nowhere. And finally something stuck after years and years of, you know, suburban failed bands and solo projects and whatever.
1: Yeah, well, you, you got to I mean, in my opinion, you definitely have to have those experiences because, you know, whatever quote unquote failures you encounter there will lead you to be like, okay, so I don't need to do that exact thing. <laughs> the way that I did the previous band or whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like failing upwards, as they say, like you got to eat shit and you got to earn it. I feel like, and it's more real that way for me. I mean, no disrespect to anyone who just kind of like makes it off the first shot, but that usually doesn't happen. <laughs>
1: right yeah (laughs) or it's one of those things where it's like whatever using davy havoc as an example again like afi is legitimately his first band and it's just really funny to think about that but it's like well if you look at what afi sounded like at the beginning versus what they sound like now it's like you know there's like 40 bands in there like 40 different sounding bands and so yeah yeah
2: i mean everyone's gonna suck at first and that's the thing that like I was I always had trouble with that. Maybe I still do at some respect. Like trying new things because I love trying new things. But like, you're gonna suck at first, and you just got to get past it. It's like like growing out your hair or something. You're gonna have that awkward phase, and you're gonna hate it. You want to cut. You want to be like, I'm not want to do this. I'm gonna cut my hair. But like, eventually, you know, your hair grows or whatever.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, it's a very true point. um so did you actually go to college at all or did you basically, you know, after you graduated high school, you were just like, I, I gotta, you know, work and figure something else out?
2: No, I got into um a film school. It was the only school I got into because I, I had D's and F's throughout high school. I just never applied myself. I didn't I didn't want to. Um but I got into a you know, a super hippie type college that they didn't have grades and you know it's not surprising that they this college does not even exist anymore they're like 10 million dollars in debt and shut down so i have a useless degree from there uh and that was in burlington vermont so i i did that whole thing and that's where i really kind of like stepped on the gas with the music stuff
1: got it got it that's <laughs> i love that idea of just i mean there are definitely liberal arts schools that have that sort of like oh you pick your own curriculum and you do that but um mm-hmm it's so was it kind of like that
2: it was exactly like that you know kids not wearing shoes kid you know like <laughs> white people with dreads sure right just yeah heady super heady right right <laughs> and did you uh
1: i guess did you feel like you had a college experience like like living in the dorms and kind of being away from home
2: no no okay. there weren't any dorms there there were like apartments that i guess they owned so they were like really like gnarly apartments that like you could live in and it was it, it felt like a fever dream honestly if we're being honest like it didn't feel like real life but it i mean it eventually led me to nothing nowhere because for my final art history project the teacher was like hey just make a piece of art like do whatever you want and that was that ended up being don't mind me which was my first video and song is nothing nowhere Wow.
1: That's pretty cool that you were able to, yeah. I mean, I guess like, you know, that's your thesis statement for, <laughs> for yeah. or your dissertation or whatever.
2: Yeah. Which is a, a trip to think about. I remember I went to bed and there was like 10,000 plays in the morning, which I never got even close to that. And I was like, Oh, it's on. Like, I can't let this slip. And I just kept going. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> um, And
1: like you mentioned, kind of previous to that, there were, you know, a lot of different uh, bands and projects that you were kind of playing a part of. Um, Was it all basically just kind of in that whole, whatever, screamo, you know, punk and hardcore adjacent stuff that you were kind of sampling around with?
2: Yeah, it was just really, really, really bad. Um, Pop punk, post hardcore, um, you know, emo, whatever. It was just all that, but really bad. Right. It was like my childhood
1: <laughs> right were you singing playing guitar for this stuff or
2: was it a combination uh, of all of them first couple bands i was ever in i was the drummer um and then i started singing and playing guitars and like everything else so a little bit of everything
1: okay Dr- that's interesting drums did was that just kind of like oh everyone else plays something so joe get behind the kit
2: <laughs> no i i've, I've- started drums the same time as I started guitar and ah cool uh, yeah I was like probably 12 and um yeah I love playing the drums I mean I, I don't get to play as much as I used to I don't have a kit anymore but I just started getting back into it and yeah I'm super about it for sure
1: that's uh yeah and that also adds another layer to your uh, parents patience because uh clearly Man. drums are punishing
2: Yeah. Oh man. Like I used to come home from school and just rip the drums and my sister would be asleep and come down in the basement and scream at me. And my mom, you know, so like the best parents ever, like they were just like, all right, like you've been slamming the drums for like three hours, like give it a break, you know, like, right. Like the older I get, the more I'm like, wow, like that, that was awesome of them sure they're
1: like yeah we've heard you playing you know really sloppy some 41 beats for three hours let's calm down joe
2: yeah like (laughs) yeah bless them
1: no that's really cool And, and to your point that again is something that you know your parents were just allowing you to follow the thing that they noticed that you were passionate about which is really cool
2: yeah like so lucky for sure yeah
1: no that's really cool Um, and I'm guessing with those bands, like you were basically just kind of like playing regionally, like you probably had no, uh, I guess, extensive touring experience with these bands
2: or was that not correct? Yeah, no way. Okay. (laughs) We would like rent out like a community center and like 10 people would show up maybe, um, you know, or we would just, you know, I had some quote unquote bands where we would never even play a show. We just like play in the (laughs) basement and like have a friend over or something to be like, check out this song you know i never i had never toured or anything okay got it so that that must
1: have been a really wild experience for you to have the idea of what tour might be like with a band and then you know your first touring experience being you know with nothing nowhere where it's you know like ostensibly just you and maybe one other person on
2: stage yeah yeah it was a trip um i mean thankfully i had a full band um you know, I just kinda s I kinda got on that train early. I was like, if I'm gonna play shows, like I might as well have a band. So that's true. I do, I do remember, you know, you know, buying a van and trailer and following Thrice's bus and um you know, pulling up to the first show at the Warfield in San Francisco and just looking up at the balcony and being like how the hell did I get here? Like this is insane. And just like so nervous I wanted to throw up and it was like that for years, you know, before every show. So nervous I was about to throw up, or I did throw up. Um, but, yeah, it it was just so much so fast, for sure.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, and that idea, yeah. I mean, the, the idea of being able to uh, exist in something that is similar to a band, i.e., you know, you enlisting, you know, your your friends to help you play your music, that must have made it. A lot easier than just being like, yeah, you know, you like a stand up comedian with just a microphone and, you know, uh, having backing tracks playing behind you.
2: Yeah, I, I don't that would be so hard for me, you know, like having a band and, you know, knowing that we're all in it together is huge. Like knowing like when you're backstage, like and you're with your friends and, you know, my band is like I'm like best friends, you know, and knowing that we're all experiencing it together makes it a lot easier for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and so as you started to, uh, you know, navigate the world as nothing, nowhere, where you started to feel, you know, like, yeah, I've got management now and like labels are looking at me and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, did you feel, I, I guess, kind of equipped for the attention, uh, or was that something that
2: you kind of had to,
1: you know, navigate and learn as you went along?
2: No, yeah, no, I was not equipped for it. I was not, um, expecting it nor was I prepared for it um you know flying out and meeting with all the major labels in LA and New York and you know doing all these insane meetings and talking to crazy people on the phone it's just it was so wild and I I don't I there's no manual for it you know what I mean there's no who was I going to talk to like hey what, what did you do when you were flown out by major labels and What did you do when Pete Wentz called you and said he wanted to, like, work with you? There's no blueprint. So I just kind of had to figure it out and go through it.
1: Right. Act like you belong.
2: I guess. Yeah. I still don't feel like I do. So, (laughs) Well, yeah. It's that it's that weird sort of like
1: pseudo confidence that you have to try to project to be like, yeah, no, I'm totally not freaking out when I'm talking to, you know, Pete Wentz from, you know, Fall Out boy and Angelus. like this is, you know, I'm fine. I'm totally fine.
2: Yeah. It's also weird. It's just bizarre. And there's always new stuff that comes up and, you know, you never know, like once a month, once every other month you get an email of like some crazy opportunity and you're just like, all right, I guess like, right. (laughs) And I just feel like, I don't know, like I I even have like a sense of guilt about it or something. I know I shouldn't because like, I know I worked hard, but there is that voice in my head. That's like, dude, all you did was play guitar, you know? (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Well, and, and that idea that, um, you know, because you were doing something that was so relatively new to you know the music scene at large of you know being the uh, and I'm using this in air quotes because I always find this funny where it's just like you know the king of emo rap. Not like anybody's called you that, but you know I, I just find it Everyone funny.
2: Called me that, Ray. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's true, Joe. Sorry, you are. I I will give you the crown. You can take it. But <laughs> just just that idea of being like, oh yeah, I'm doing this and ostensibly people are talking to me because they think that what I am doing is quote unquote ahead of the curve. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to express myself. Like, Why are all these weird things coming at me?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean like now I've learned, you know, being in the music industry, like people freak out, like, like go insane when something new comes along and they're just like, Oh, we got to throw money at it. We got to like, this is the hot new thing. And like, it's like Wall Street over there. It's crazy.
1: Right. <laughs> That's a good way of uh, of uh, looking at it because it definitely is the notion of investing in a stock and being like, oh, we're betting on the futures of this. And it's like, oh, exactly. okay, I guess I'm Right. Um, yeah, exactly. So when, you know, I, I realize this may be a loaded question, but when did you feel like it, it was getting... Um, you know, I guess real for you where it's like, was it when you were taking these meetings with major labels and stuff like that? Or was it, you know, the morning you woke up and you saw the <laughs> thousand plays or whatever. It doesn't even have to be this like big dramatic, like clouds parting moment. But mm-hmm. when did you feel like, Oh, like people are gravitating towards this. And this is like the most successful thing I've done by a mile.
2: I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I still struggle with that. I think it was okay. just, just a slow process. Like, um, you know, it's, I remember being really shocked, like, you know, the first, the first show of thrice and playing that and, you know, pulling up to venues. And I remember feeling really weird meeting with all the labels. And, um, there's always been points in my career where I've just been like, what's, what's even going on right now? Um, and then, you know, even more recently, like a year ago, like buying a house, I was like, why I never had it. I never got a job. So this is cool. Um, and yeah, I'm still, I'm still struggling with that, I guess. Cause I'm just like, yeah, I guess it is real. You know, I, I always feel like it's just going to fall out from underneath me, which I know it isn't, but I'm just kind of like, that's what my mind does.
1: Right. No, sure. That, that I was actually going to ask that same exact thing where it's like, do, you know, I think most artists feel that sense of not, it can be dramatically defined as, you know, imposter syndrome where you like, I don't feel like I'm here, but just that idea that I could wake up tomorrow and like all the things that, you know, people care about will be passe. And all of a sudden I've got like, quote unquote, nothing to show from it for, from like a monetary perspective or whatever.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, thankfully, like, I guess there were some good things about my dad being an accountant. Cause early on when I started getting like, you know, checks um, he was like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't, you know, buy motorcycles and cars or whatever, you know, <laughs> like right. let's, let's put that in a retirement fund and, uh, maybe you can have fun some other time. <laughs> right. So like, yeah, I think like, that's another thing too, that like when labels throw like huge numbers at, at artists, like it's scary, you know, cause there, there's no, there's no way to be equipped to handle that. And, um, like they certainly don't teach that in school. So, you know, I don't know. It's gnarly. Yeah. Well,
1: it's, it's good that, like you said, you had a figure like your father to just be like, Hey, pump the brakes. Like this is something that you should hold on to. And because who knows where this is going to be in a year two years, five years or whatever.
2: Yeah. He's like, your stock is too volatile. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: totally he's like we're you know i'm glad you bet on yourself joe but you know like let's be practical about this as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah the and so i I guess as the business implications started to become more real where you were making moves and signing labels and like you said you know like actually getting paid to play shows and stuff like this um and selling merch and all this stuff were you, you know, I know you always were working with, you know, Evange and management and you had a team of people surrounding you, but you know, did you feel comfortable with the business aspect or like how did your, I guess, evolution of the music business side of things start to, you know, play into
2: the way that you think about your art? I don't particularly like the music business. I don't, I think it's hard to mix like art with money. I mean, it always is because, you know, there's going to be people within the music industry who uh, look at songs through a different lens than an artist would. They're looking at songs, um, you know, does the chorus hit within 30 seconds? Is there an A and a B chorus? Can we push this to radio? Like, how much money is this going to make? And people won't say that outright, but, like, you know, if they give you an advance, they want a return on their investment, or, you know, they they it's a business, and that – you know, has wrongfully influenced me in the past. And I've had to course correct multiple times um, where I'm making a song and I'm loving it. And then I'm like, wait a second, like this chorus doesn't, you know, it doesn't hit early enough or like the radio wouldn't pick this up. And I'm just like, what are you saying, dude? Like just make music. Like, so I'd say that there's a lot of, there's been, I've had to like retrain my brain because it started to like rot with the whole music business thing.
1: And, and was that specifically because you started to see that, uh, I guess, chasing the dragon's tail of like, oh, okay, I've, I've been told that I need to pay attention to this or like, this is kind of where my strength lies or whatever.
2: Yeah. You're just around it and you're in meetings and stuff and you hear people talking about it. And then you, before you know it, you start thinking of music as like, how many streams, how much money, how many, how much royalties. And I'm there. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make money off of your music. That's, that's the goal. Like that's not selling out or anything like it, that's rad. Like I don't have to have a job, but I think there's, it's a slippery slope when you start like making every song, like th- having that mindset, it could be dangerous.
0: Hmm.
1: Sure. It, it, yeah. It starts to, you know, the whatever cart leads the horse as opposed to the, you know, horse like leading the cart Mm -hmm. where you're just following your artistic muse as opposed to, you know, following what the, you know, where the money lies or whatever.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: The, um, I know that, uh, kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, like veganism and vegetarianism, you know, has crept into your life. And I know like, you know, animal, uh, for lack of a better term, like animal advocacy, uh, you know, is this something that is important to you? When did that kind of, I guess, come into your focus or come into your picture? Was it, I'm going to presume through music as well?
2: Yeah. Um, not necessarily through music. Um, okay. this was in, so I've been vegan for 10 years. This was in 2011. Um, I met the first vegan person, I guess I've ever met. Um, he was kind of a kid who went to school with me and I just was like, what is this about? Like, what is veganism? And, um, I remember like that night or just struggling with it and thinking about it. Cause I'd never thought about like what I was eating or anything. And mm-hmm. I watched a lecture um, by Gary Yarovsky on YouTube, where essentially it was just like talking about what you eat and the implications of what you eat and talking about sentient beings and animals feeling pain. And I watched the entire thing. And at the end of it, I said, like, all right, like, I can't, I can't bullshit myself anymore. Like, I can't lie to myself anymore. And I have zero arguments against this. That's what it came down to. It was like, okay, what I'm eating is impacting the planet. You know, animals deserve compassion and love. We have, you know, a limitless amount of, of things to choose from at the grocery store that don't inflict harm on sentient beings. I think this is something that I want to do because I want to put my head on the pillow at night knowing that I did, I did not contribute to this. And it was kind of a wrap from there. And, and, and I never looked back. That's uh,
1: that's an awesome story just because having it so, um, you know, I, I guess like quickly open your eyes and so definitively push you in a direction where it's like, oh, so I've seen this thing now and I can't unsee it and my life will never be the same.
2: Totally. It was so visceral and so raw and, you know, when when you're at the grocery store and you see meat which is like a body like wrapped in cellophane and it, there's such a massive disconnect you know you don't you don't put the face to it you know like if they put the picture of like the animal the exact animal that was slaughtered on the, the packaging maybe that people would look at it differently I don't know but it's just not it's not something that societally that we ever think about and I don't think anyone would want to slit the throat of whatever they're eating themselves they just prefer not to think about it and that's what I was, you know, I guess for like 19 years of my life, 18 years of my life. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people who's going to like freak out on people for, you know, doing what they want to do. But if people are interested in veganism, like, hell yeah, like, let's talk about it.
1: Right. Yeah, you're like, uh, like yeah, I will, uh, I'll be willing to, uh, you know, point you in the right direction. So you show you some resources if you're curious about it. But you know, I'm not gonna like yell you into submission.
2: Yeah. And I guess like musically too, like when I heard Gorilla Biscuits, like cats and dogs have all the luck, I was like, yup, this is awesome. Like, I don't want to just select which animals I choose to love. When I say I love animals, I say I love animals and I mean it.
1: Right. I am so glad you mentioned that song because that is such a impactful, like it's also, all it does is pose a question. You're like why why do cats and dogs have all the luck and you know whatever age you listen to that like there's no response that you can come back where it's like yeah why do cats and dogs have all the luck
2: yeah it's crazy it's just we picked a couple animals to domesticate and to become like our best friends but you know you spend some time with cows pigs or other or other livestock you're like oh my god like this is the same connection that I have with a cat or a dog or, or something like that. It's really crazy. Right.
1: Exactly. And it's like, just because a cow cannot sit in my lap does not mean it should be uh, judged <laughs> differently.
2: Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, the, as you started to, you know, get out there and get more comfortable, you know, on stage. I mean, I know that you were always talking about the, you know the nervousness that, that you know uh, rightfully so you know plagues many people that go on stage and you know put put their cells out there but once you kind of took that like next level of jump where you know playing the warfield is much different than you know when you went on tour with fallout boy um was that like d- were those two experiences like would you say similar in the sort of like understanding that like yes i'm playing you know literal stadiums versus you know whatever 2000 cap rooms um or was that just like a completely different feeling entirely.
2: You know what's funny is like I almost feel like the first show that I played on the first tour, like real tour, the Thrice that Warfield show, I feel like it was scarier than the you know playing in front of 15,000 people in an arena in Tampa for uh before Fallout boy because at some point it's just like the, I don't even see people. Like I I don't even like there's so many people here that I can't even make out a face. So it was like almost like easier where I was like, these people are like thousands of feet away from me that like, sure. I, I can't even like, I think my brain just short circuited. Like I was terrified before I got up there for sure. Like we had the security guard guards, like take us from the locker rooms up onto the back of the stage and you just hear everyone in the arena and it sounds insane I felt like shack or something, and then you get, on and then I got on stage, and I was like, "This is insane!" And my brain couldn't really process it. Um, so I think it's just like, you know, for me when I when I play a show, it doesn't matter if it's like you know five people or fifteen thousand people. I'm, I think there is always going to be those nerves, and I think I've gotten better at it as the years have gone by. But low key, kind of nervous for when touring comes back because I am out of practice. Sure.
1: <laughs> No, it's true. Just that, that feeling of like, okay, you know, yes, some of it is like riding a bicycle, but then there's always that component of, well, like, how different is this going to feel? Like, am I know, am I gonna, (laughs) am I gonna know what, you know, I guess, like to do up there?
2: (laughs) Yeah, um I'm I'm always like freaking out about it. I always forget my lyrics too. So i like write them on my hand and stuff. And there's a picture of me and Pete right before the arena show. And he's like, what's on your hand? And I'm showing him my lyrics. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> I forget my lyrics. Like that's my trademark, I guess. Right.
1: <laughs> that, that is a, uh, I- Honestly, that's beautiful just because it is, I mean, you are usually condensing so many more words than, you know, your average quote unquote rock band or whatever. So, you know, I, I totally understand where you're coming from where it's like, yeah, I can have a little cheat sheet. Sorry guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm human. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You try to remember, you know, 1500 words in a, in a three minute song. Like that's not easy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast. I don't remember anything.
1: Right. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't expect too much from me guys, you know? (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Um, two, two more things I wanted to hit on before I let you go was the, um, you know, the idea that, uh, when you started to, you know, feel the, you know, anxiety bubble over and, you know, cancel tours and like everything that you did in order to protect your, your own mental, uh, you know, health and safety, um, I think that, I mean, first of all, it was sick that you did that because, you know, I am glad that you are existing on this planet versus, you know, going an even darker route. But, um, you know, I think it really just puts into stark focus the fact that even though I'm sure people assume one thing about you being like, oh, dude, like, Joe must be living the life, man. He's just like rapping across stages across the country and just like everything must be coming up aces for him. Um, You know, so like, do you do you feel I guess uh, I get proud in certain respects that you were able to, you know, uh, shed that light and maybe make people feel less alone because you were just, you know, meeting them on their level.
2: Yeah. So I mean, when I made that decision to cancel all the festivals and I guess effectively stop touring for like half a year, um it was out of necessity there's no way I would have been able to I was at a point with my mental health where it was just uh it had never been that bad um and I had an opportunity where I could have just been like you know due to unforeseen circumstances I will not be doing this tour but then I was like you know what like I'm gonna be real and just tell it like it is like I have nothing to be embarrassed about like it's what I got whatever I don't care and uh and I was like, maybe like it would help other people if I'm just real about it. So I was like, hey, like, surprise, like I'm I'm super depressed and anxious. I can't do this. And um, yeah, the the response was overwhelming. And uh, like everyone I ever knew reached out to me and was like, dude, like take all the time you need. And like, it was really like heartwarming to to see that happen.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, I presume you probably also you know felt that response from you know the people who were fans of what you were doing and then also kind of the industry at large
2: yeah totally yeah no there was like there were there was like no one i mean maybe one or two but there was n- literally like at large no one who was bummed about it everyone was like all right like do you like that's fine
1: yeah that's that's incredible and then yeah for other bands and artists and people that were you know publicly sharing themselves giving that notion of the space that they could, need to create for themselves in order to make sure like hey you want like you as the fan of me and <laughs> then the art i put out there like you want me to be here for another couple of years creating this stuff right yeah. so like i i need this
2: yeah yeah it was like completely necessary I, there's no way i wouldn't i would have been able to do it so i mean it was just you know as I was, we were talking about earlier it was just it was so, it was a lot and I, and i didn't have this the coping skills to me, to deal with any of it so i had to just stop and then reassess right
1: and did you uh you know if you mind me asking like was it diving into therapy was it just basically being able to you know set more roots for yourself because i know that you know you currently live in vermont or was it basically just a mixture of all of it
2: oh it was everything i was like whatever you got like send it my way i was like you got vitamins you got like you know, you know, actual like psychiatric drugs. Uh, I went to, I went to Buddhist temples and sat in contemplation with monks in Massachusetts. Uh, I did everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I got into riding my bike. I'd got into like polar plunges and in in, in, at the beach. Um, I just went on a journey and I was like, I, I don't want, I don't want this to like end me. I want to, I want to beat this. And, and it's not like, Uh, like you ever really beat it. I mean, it's just taking it one day at a time, I guess. And I got out of that really bad rut that I was in for sure.
1: That's great. Yeah, you were casting the widest net possible to try to find a, you know, like you said, there's no solution, but there is mechanisms in which you can deploy to make you feel, you know, more comfortable in your own skin at least.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, That's a great way to look at it. Kind of just just trying everything you can to better yourself and knowing that it will get better. And, and it, and it will, you know what I mean? It's not every day is the worst day ever.
1: Right. Yeah. Only one of them can be like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Until the next one comes along and then you're like, Oh, okay. So that's the bottom. All right, cool.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Right, right, right.
1: Um, Have you, this is just out of pure curiosity, because I'm sure that like you were mentioning before you got thrown into these like really interesting circumstances, whether it's like, Oh, you know, I got Travis Barker calling me up to do a collab or whatever. Um, you know, what are some funny moments that you felt like, you know, your soul was leaving your body and you were kind of just like watching yourself experience this stuff, you know, whether it was like, you know, those phone calls that you were getting, or if it's something that it was like, wow, I'm doing this like really wild, you know, event that, you know, whatever. There's like so much random stuff that gets, you know, thrown at you. So uh, when I kind of lay all that out, uh, you know, are there things that pop to your mind?
2: Totally. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember I was with Pete in LA and we were walking down the street and some kid hangs out. I'm walking with Pete once. And some kid hangs out the uh, like the car window and he's like, nothing nowhere and he has like my shirt on he's like dude i love you and he just goes by and i'm and he said nothing about pete and i was like yo you just got showing up dude like fall, who's fallout boy and it's like like moments like that are just so funny and uh yeah i mean i remember being uh chilling at travis's house and just having dinner with him and playing with his dogs and stuff and being like this is weird you know um right i'm here you know yeah being overseas playing sold-out shows in london and having people scream your lyrics back to you i'm just like dude what is even going on right now like i knew when i was younger that i could do it but i always did have that voice in my head that was like yeah but like come on you know and then the fact that it happened is like just i'm super grateful and i gotta like give it back to the universe somehow Yeah, no,
1: I, I get that. Uh, I promise last thing, but the, the notion of, you know, when you first started to put yourself out there and, you know, clearly how you were obscuring your face and, you know, there was that air of mystery where people were just like, Oh, like, you know, I don't, I don't know who this person is. I don't even know his name and that sort of stuff. Um, do, do you felt like you, uh, I guess, controlled that? I mean, clearly you controlled that narrative because that was a, you know, implicit decision you had made. Um, But, you know, in in retrospect, do you feel like that was like you were glad you did that? You were kind of like, oh, maybe if I executed that a little bit differently, um, you know, how do you, I guess, reflect on that
2: time? I think it was a it was a great way. It made it easier for me to kind of deal into deal with it. And the fact that no one knew what I looked like for like, I don't like two years or something, um, unless they came to a show, it was like. You know i'd have shows even you know before i played the show i'd just be walking around in the venue no one even knew it was me and it was just made stuff like that way easier and i guess like the main reason i wanted to do that was just kind of like build a foundation of music and be like yo if you if you mess with my music that's cool and then maybe like you know we could get to know each other as people later (laughs)
1: right it is true that i like you you doing that honestly reminded me like there was uh you know i don't know if you've ever heard of this band called elliot they were from uh louisville kentucky put out yeah put out some records on revelation amazing like total you know mid to late 90s emo band but and clearly this was pre-internet but like their whole vibe was when they were setting up their equipment they would you know they, they basically wore like kind of what you know you would wear like if you worked at a bank just like you know slacks and like a you know like a white shirt and a tie or whatever and their whole and their whole thing was that they wanted a blank canvas for people because you know if you see a band setting up their equipment and like dudes wearing a mad ball shirt you're like okay like i know what i'm expecting um and so they were kind of painting a blank canvas of that because you wouldn't know what they would sound like and so you were kind of doing that you know on that same idea where it's just like I want people to interact with my music first and foremost, rather than any sort of image about who I am, besides the fact like, you know, I got some sick hand tats or whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm an idiot. So like, <laughs> I'm just like dumb. I'm just like dumb. And I, I like, I'm like, I don't even why. Like I, I make music like, and I was like, I, when I first had to like make an Instagram and all that, I was like, oh, Why am I posting a picture of myself? Like, I'm just going to let you know when a song comes out. And like, maybe someday if you want to, See what what a dumbass I am, I'll yeah, I'll show you. Right, right. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you're just gonna have to wait for a little bit, okay? Just (laughs) Yeah. Hold your breath. Right, exactly. And and that idea, too, that you were also, um, and I know this has been more of a a recent thing, but just the idea that you were uh, taking, you know, with like your merchandise and, you know, how you are modeling it after, uh, you know, a lot of the influences that people see outside of, you know, punk and hardcore and independent music of just like, oh, hey, this is what, you know, like streetwear and fashion does, where it's like, I, you know, like you, you probably don't even have to like my band, but you look at this merch, you'd be like, Oh, that that looks sick. I'll probably buy that hoodie. Like, I don't like the music, but it looks
2: good. (laughs) Yeah. That's the goal is like, like I'm really into clothes and, and I wanted to make merch that was just anyone could wear, even if they didn't listen to it. Like I encourage the poser, (laughs) the poser like (laughs) shirt move. That would be rad.
1: Right. And it is, I really do like that idea too of, you know, bands, like Bance Birch transcending the band where it's just like, you know, in, I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the Bane hoodie, where it's like, yeah. you know, that people bought that being like, Oh, I've just like seen it at shows or whatever. Like, do you, have you heard Bane? No, but I just like to just, <laughs> or whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's, and I mean, that's like business wise too. Like I, maybe I don't have to like freak out about, you know, making that radio chorus as much if you have like a strong foundation in other areas of your business or your, you know, your band or whatever, you know, just, just good, you know, it's a good thing to to do. It's, it's very practical. It's like your dad taught you something, Joe. (laughs) Thanks, dad.
1: (laughs) Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out. I really appreciate this and letting me uh, ping pong around your brain, but this was great.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. This was rad. I appreciate it. Pretty cool,
0: right? Like I said, if even if you do not identify with the art that he puts out, I think you will find some really interesting stories and common connections that you might not have thought you had with this person. So, I know I did, and uh, I loved him for coming on. So, shout out to Joe. Shout out to Mike, who is on his management team, who helped pull the strings together, and Ivan, uh, who also is his manager, and uh, she's a great human being and a previous guest of this podcast. So. Big shout out to all those people for making this happen. Next week, I have Matt Cothran from the Bronx. I am so excited to have him on the show because uh, he's a guy who I've, you know, we've traveled in the same circles and I've known him for a while, but to have just never reached out to be like, hey, Matt, how about you do the show? But then the opportunity came up to have them on the show because they have a new record coming out soon. And, uh, man, it was so much fun because, uh, yeah, Matt and I go pretty pretty nerdy deep. I mean, as you would expect with this particular podcast. But that's what we got next week. Matt from the Bronx. Boom. There you go. And until next week, please be safe, everybody.